You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? In other words, I can help you there. And I love the fifth and final excuse Moses gives. Verse 13, chapter 4, Moses said, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. I'm not the guy. But you are the guy. If you're humble, you are the person. Because that's who God's going to shower his grace on. That's who God's going to lift up. That's who God's going to use. That's who God's going to bless. If God calls you on to a mission, don't insult Him by resisting it with silly excuses. As Pastor Danny will point out in today's message, Moses did exactly that. This man experienced God in a way that very few ever have. God spoke right to him and worked miracles in his life. And yet, when God set a task before him, he trembled in fear, afraid of his own failure. When God calls you to do something, He equips and enables you for it. So trust in Him, not in your own understanding or in your strengths. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 with today's edition of The Living Word. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Just ask the one God's using to pen this epistle, 1 Peter. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Tell you the truth, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny three times that you know me. Peter said emphatically, No, not going to happen. I'll die with you. Well, Peter's been pretty successful. I mean, he's the one that stepped forward when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter revealed to him by the heavenly father, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Feeling pretty good about his life and ministry. But he was proud. And that's what led to his fall. Now, rather than give a definition of biblical humility, I've chosen, and I I think the Lord led me this way, to give some biblical characteristics of a Humble person, biblically humble. Here's the first one, their servant. Our greatest example, of course, is Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. Here's what it says about him. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Matthew chapter 20 says that Jesus came to serve, not to be served fascinating passage in Luke 12. It's a parable, but it's a parable that talks about uh, Jesus, the master, when he comes back. And it says when he comes back in his second coming, he'll have us recline at tables and he'll come and wait on us. Fascinating to me that the very nature of God includes the heart of a servant. He's a servant. And that's what a biblically humble person is, they're a servant. Second, Philippians 2 verse 8 And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The truly humble person before the Lord is submissive and obedient. James chapter 4, parallel passage to what we're looking at in 1 Peter. You might want to take a quick look at that. If not, just listen and I'll read it for you. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, and he quotes Proverbs 3, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Next verse, very important. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, listen up. There are times we need to plead the blood of Jesus. There are times you use the name of Jesus in power. But if you try to plead the blood and use the name of Jesus, and you're not submitted and obedient to the Lord, you're going to get your teeth kicked in by hell. That's just the truth. Never win the battle over the devil unless we're submitted to the Lord. Won't happen. Won't happen. Third characteristic of a biblically humble person. They are dependent, dependent. Let me read you what David said before he goes out and fights the Philistine named Goliath. He said to King Saul, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He was dependent on the Lord. As a shepherd boy, he had gone out after lions and bears that threatened the flock. And he put his life on the line because he's a true shepherd and a true heart of a shepherd. But his dependency, his dependency is not on his physical ability. His his dependency is on the Lord. He didn't go out and face Goliath because he's a good shot with a sling, even though he was. He went out and faced Goliath because he depended on the Lord, because he was humble. Biblically humble people don't think very highly of themselves. Romans 12, 3 says not to think too highly of yourself, but think of yourself in sober judgment, with sober judgment in accordance with what God's given you, the measure of faith that he's given you. Realizing that everything we are and everything we have come from heaven. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. James chapter 1. And then they don't focus attention on themselves. They don't draw attention to themselves. Jesus, again, as an example, Matthew 12, verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry out. You will not hear his voice in the streets. He doesn't call attention to himself. And then finally, they give all glory to the Lord. Psalm 115, the first verse of Psalm 115 is just tremendous. Let me, let me read it. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Let me give you some encouragement, quick encouragement. You're an athlete and you score the touchdown, bow a knee or point toward heaven. Because listen, if it weren't for God, you'd never have the ability to be the athlete that you are. You're the captain of the basketball team. You're the one that scores most of the points. Uh, You've won many games hitting that final throw, free throw or whatever at the buzzer, final shot at the buzzer. Listen, give heaven the glory because if it weren't for heaven, you would not have that ability. You're a successful business person. You better make sure you give God the glory because everything we are and everything we have is because of him. I'm talking Christian and non-Christian. Some of the characteristics you'll see of people who are prideful, it's the opposite of these characteristics. It's exactly the opposite. Now, let me give you a couple of 
points. One is this. Some people who are prideful, thank God, later become humble. Some people who are prideful finally come to the place they realize, I need to humble myself before the Lord. Or they are humbled by the Lord. By the way, it's much better to humble yourself than to be humbled. Much easier path. One of the greatest characters in all the Old Testament, Moses. Acts chapter 7 verse 22 says that Moses was powerful in speech and in action. Remember Moses as a baby. Put in a little basket, put it out in the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the Nile with her attendants. And she basically adopts Moses. And Moses grows up in in a palace known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It says he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. In other words, he had the best education around in the day. And he was a great speaker. People were impressed by his speaking. Not only was he a great speaker, Moses was a guy who got things done. Pharaoh wanted something done, he'd get, Moses, we need you to do this. And Moses was powerful in action. He'd get things done. But because of his education, because of his great ability in speaking, and because he was a get-or-done kind of guy, that was what led to his terrible mistake. When he goes out one day and an Egyptian is mistreating a Hebrew, Acts tells us Moses knew God had called him to be a deliverer, to deliver his people, the Hebrew people, from the bondage of Egypt. The mistake he made initially was that he, in his own power, defended his Hebrew brother and he killed the Egyptian. And that mistake sent him on the backside of the desert for 40 years for some good Humility training. And after 40 years, here's what Numbers chapter 12, verse 3 says. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And now that he's humble, God comes to him in the burning bush there in the desert. And when God comes to him and says, now, now we can do it my way. Because now you're ready. Let me remind you of what Moses says. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God said, I'll be with you. Well, that wasn't good enough for Moses. So verse 13, Moses says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what's his name? What am I going to tell them? And God says, you tell them I am who I am. Well, that didn't do it for Moses either. You get in chapter 4, and Moses said, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And the Lord, and they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And God did some miraculous things with Moses' hand and with his staff. In other words, I'm going to do miracles. I'll prove myself. It'll be my power. Well, that doesn't do it for Moses. Chapter 4, you go down to verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent. You also got a bad memory. Because 40 years before you were eloquent, you were powerful in speech. But something over those 40 years now, he's not eloquent. He's not powerful in speech. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? In other words, I can help you there. And I love the fifth and final excuse Moses gives. Verse 13, chapter 4, Moses said, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. I'm not the guy. Well, you are the guy if you're humble. You are the person if you're humble. 
Because that's who God's going to shower his grace on. That's who God's going to lift up. That's who God's going to use. That's who God's going to bless. I love the story in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, of one of the greatest non-believing kings in history. His name's Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 4 says, I was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying on my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So he calls his enchanters, his magicians, and they, he tells them uh, what the dream was he had. And he says, tell me what it means. And they listen to him, and then they say, we don't know what it means. So he sends for a guy. He's named Belshazzar. It's Daniel. And Daniel listens to the dream. And Daniel tells him the interpretation of the dream. What he sees is this tree, this massive tree, and uh, it's a strong tree, grew in large, top reaching up to the sky. Daniel chapter 4, verse 20 says, The tree you saw which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field, having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are the tree. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches to the sky, and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times or seven years pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You'll be driven away from the people and live like the wild animals or with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle, be drenched with the dew of heaven until seven years pass by. And then you'll have learned your lesson. Well, he hears this. Daniel says to him in verse 27, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. In other words, if you'll humble yourself, maybe you won't have to go this painful seven-year path if you'll just humble yourself. But Nebuchadnezzar does not listen. Verse 29, 12 months later, year later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he spent seven years living like an animal in the woods. And at the end of that time, thank God he learned his lesson. And he finally humbled himself, or should I say, was humbled by the Lord. Here's his final statement, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And he is. And he will. Stupid is as stupid does. 
Don't go that path. Some people who are prideful, thank God, make the right decision and humble themselves. Or by going the painful path, at least finally submit to the Lord and say, okay, God, I get it. Like old Neb, I get it. But here's the other side of the coin. Some people who are humble or have been humbled by God end up becoming prideful. First king of Israel, Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 10 tells the story of Samuel coming to anoint Saul. But when they look for him to anoint him, they can't find him. He's hiding, which is interesting because once they find him and they bring him out, he's a head and shoulders taller than anybody else. He's an impressive guy, impressive young man, and all the people are impressed with him. But he's not impressed with himself. He's humble, but it didn't last very long. He takes the throne, and before very long, he's insubmissive and disobedient to the Lord. He begins taking steps on his own. Samuel goes to confront him. We have the record in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. That's self-glory. That's drawing attention to self. Again, it's the exact opposite of biblical humility. He's confronted with his sin by Samuel. You know what he does? He first tries to blame the people. And then he makes excuses. And he lives the rest of his life as a prideful king. And he ends up destroyed, just like the proverb said. And he takes his two sons down with him on the battlefield. They all die the same day. Sad. Didn't have to happen. Another king who started out well, Second Chronicles chapter 26. By the way, when Samuel confronts Saul there in the chapter, chapter 15, he says, you were once small in your own eyes till you became king, till you became successful. Second Chronicles 26, Uzziah took the throne when he was just 16 years old. And it says, verse 5, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Yeah, I mean, he gave him great success. And then years later, you read these sad words, verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He goes into the temple with incense, and he's trying to do something uh, that only the priests are allowed to do. Eighty courageous priests confront him, but instead of humbling himself, he, in anger, begins to rage at them. And in the midst of his rant, leprosy appears on his forehead, because that's where his problem is. He's not thinking right. He becomes a leper. He ends it up. He ends up excluded out of fellowship with the people of God. When he dies, he dies as a leper, and he's buried with a dishonorable burial. He started out good. He started out humble. But somewhere along the way, he became proudful, prideful, and it led to his downfall. Some people start out proud, and they just stay that way. And they end one day hitting the wall. Solomon's son Rehoboam did, King Herod of the New Testament, Acts chapter 12 did, etc., etc., etc. 
They just wouldn't listen. Here's the good news. Anyone, anyone at any time can choose to humble themselves and find the blessing of God. Anyone at any time can choose to humble themselves and they'll find the grace of God and the blessing of God. That's the right decision. Ahab, one of the most wicked kings in the Bible, came to a point where he humbled himself and God was gracious to him because of his humility. Thief on the cross, beginning with the other thief to hurl insults at Jesus as they hung there, but then one of those thieves humbled himself and turns to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom and I love what Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Biblical writings that um, didn't make it into what we call the canon of scripture, those writings collectively are called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha include, uh, includes one set of writings called the Acts of Peter. And it's the first writing to suggest that Peter died uh, by being hung on a cross upside down. Through the years, other church fathers uh, held that this was true. Origen, for example, wrote, and I quote, Peter was crucified at Rome with his head downwards as he had desired to suffer. Eventually, Michelangelo painted uh, into stone in a chapel at the Vatican uh, a painting of Peter being crucified upside down. So if it's true that he was crucified upside down, and it seems to be, uh, certainly that's the tradition, that Peter's final hope for exaltation, his entrance into glory came after one brief and, one brief and humiliating moment of suffering. And here's what one commentator says about it. In the end, for the apostle Peter, heaven's inheritance was gained only after being crucified head downward upon the earth. Ironically, according to the Christian faith, the way up always comes by going down. And that's exactly what Jesus said. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I remember like it was yesterday, early on in my Christian life, through the word of God and the illumination of the spirit of God, God showed me how prideful I was. I was taken aback by it because I didn't, I didn't consider myself a, pr a prideful person. I really didn't. And I was very proud of that. <laughs> proud of my humility. But God showed me, and I never saw it. I didn't see it. You know, other people may see it in us, and we don't see it in ourselves. And God has to, through his word, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, reveal to us areas in our lives. That pride is the issue. Pride is the issue. And there's only one simple thing to do when God shows us that. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. You see, God tells us the truth whether we want to hear it or not. Now, since God revealed that to me early on in my Christian life, have I been daily an example of humility? No, of course not. None of us have. That's because humility has to be maintained. How is humility maintained? By humbling ourselves again 
and again and again and again. Maybe you need to do that. Today on The Living Word, Pastor Danny Hodges has been teaching through a series in the book of 1 Peter. It's easy for people to say that God is good when things are going well, but what about when things are really hard and your faith is being tested like never before? Are you still able to say God is good? Well, in the book of 1 Peter, you get to hear the right perspective about suffering, even when it's unfair. God sees you and he knows what you're going through. Peter himself was a prime example of suffering much for Christ, but he knew that it was worthwhile because he watched Jesus' example firsthand. Are you in a state of suffering for Christ today? Look up and be reminded that God isn't surprised by it, but he's also not reveling in your suffering either. He's there to comfort you through your trials. We encourage you to keep tuning into this series, learning and growing from the truths revealed from the word. Before we go, we wanted to mention that if you live in or near the St. Petersburg area, all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you come join us for our weekend services. We have a Saturday service at 6 p.m. and two on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Just go to our website at ccfstpete.church to get directions and more information. Thanks again for joining us today. We trust that you'll be eager to learn more from the book of 1 Peter here on The Living Word.